This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's show comes from Belgrave Heights Convention in the east of Melbourne. Today's big question, is there power in prayer? We're asking this question today to Dr. Samar Maurice. Samar is the senior pastor of Casa El Dubara El Evangelical Church, the largest church in Egypt and the largest evangelical Arabic-speaking church in the world. And he joins me now. Please welcome Dr. Samar Maurice. <laughs> Well, Sam, welcome. Welcome to Bigger Questions. Thank you. Now, Sam, you're the pastor of a church named Casa El Dabara. Now, is there any significance to the name of the church? I mean, my Arabic's a little bit rusty, so what does it mean? Not at all. This is the name of the district in Egypt. (laughs) We named the church with the district. Uh, so uh, this was the name of the area. Now it's Garden City, actually. It, 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 it changed. Qasr uh, means the, 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 the palace. So it's a large church. Now, how many people there would you have attending on an average week? We have about 12,000 people um, really related to the church. They, they consider themselves uh, members. Wow, so that's, that's quite a lot. Now, traditionally, church pastors have stood at the exit of a church after a service is concluded and shakes the hands of everybody who comes. Uh, is that something that you do, to shake 12,000 hands after? No, no after? way, no way. <laughs> I go from the other door. <laughs> <laughs> you try to make a quick getaway, do you? Right, yeah, yeah. Now, we are recording before a live audience today up in here in Belgrave Heights, and a question's already come in, which is pretty unusual for this time of, in the conversation. The question is, with a church so large, where do you park all your cars? Ah, good question. <laughs> we ask the bigger questions here. We so. have a big parking lot can take up to 10 cars. So, <clears throat> so the first we, 10 people get uh, in. Yes, That's exactly. Right. Um, actually, people, they use the public transportation. Uh, uh, fortunately, this is the Tahrir Square where the main uh, subway station okay. and many buses. And there's nearby in the main square a lot of underground uh, parking lots not owned by the church public. So people, they go and park there, pay a lot of money actually. Uh, to park, very expensive. This is the downtown area. Right, okay, but it's just pays to walk, I suppose, or catch a, catch yeah. a train. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, to kick off bigger questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. Now, today we're talking with Dr. Sama Maurice about the effectiveness of prayer. So in today's smaller question, Sama, I thought we'd test you on how much you know about the prayer of non-believers. There's two questions, both multiple choice. Question one, according to a recent survey conducted in the UK, what percentage of non-believers prayed regularly? Was it A, 0%, no non-believers pray? Was it B, 1%, a tiny fraction forget that they don't believe and slip into a prayer? Was it C, 20%, one in five non-believers confess to praying? Or is it D, 100%, of course, everyone prays? So which one of those, what percentage in a recent survey? 10%. That wasn't one of the options. (laughs) (laughs) Zero, one, or twenty percent. Okay. I'd be kind of going towards. No, ten percent. It wasn't ten percent. No, 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 no. Uh, I think twenty percent. That's the. That's actually the right answer. Correct. Yes. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Well, why not? This survey. It's interesting. This survey found that one in five adults pray, despite saying they are non-religious, and this meant that just over half of all adults in the UK pray. You're doing well. Question two. In the same survey, what was the most common subject people prayed for? 
Was it A, family, B, health, C, sports results for their football team, or D, getting out of traffic jams? So which was the most common subject that people prayed for? I think traffic jams. <laughs> Is that a common if, occurrence? If, if, in, in, if, in, in London, this should be there. Well, that's what, maybe this word in London. Actually, the, unfortunately, the answer was actually A. People prayed for family. 71% of people prayed for family. 42% thank God. And I'm not sure that traffic was such a major issue because it didn't make the top, um, top five. So I'm sorry. But anyway, but that's okay. You say your prayers have been answered. For you passed. You got one of our two smaller questions right. Big round of applause. <laughs> So, Simon, does it surprise you that many people who aren't religious pray? I think people, when they feel that they are hopeless, um, they pray because they need help. So they pressured uh, to pray. Yeah. So uh, I, I met many people like that. You've met people who aren't religious but will still pray in times of trouble? Exactly. Yeah. So what do you think they're connecting with then? In the heart of everybody, there is a feeling about something um, um, has the power, uh, infinite, can do something yeah. for us, which we call him God. They, many of the people, they don't know what to call him, but uh, they feel the existence of something bigger than them. Mm. And so prayer is one of the ways of connecting perhaps exactly. with that something bigger. Yeah. Now, so prayer is an important thing for you. Of course, you connect with somebody that you love. If you love somebody and you do not connect with him, then you don't love him. No. It's a strange relationship, I suppose. Yeah. Now, in a New York Times article, atheist Hemant Mater claimed that not only was prayer useless, but it lulled believers into a false sense of accomplishment. He claimed, we cannot solve our problems, much less the world's, through prayer. What do you make of his assessment? He based his assessment that God does not exist. If does, God does not exist, so prayer is waste of time. Yeah, that's, of, that's what he says. Yeah. Everything, because you are talking to somebody that is not there. But if God exists and I can talk to him and allow him to intervene, then prayer is something uh, worthwhile more than anything else. So it depends on do you, I believe in God's existence or not. Prayer mm. will be uh, based on that. Um, otherwise, we have no discussion. Mm. So what then convinced you to believe in God in the first place? I, I went through a time of doubt uh, because I think about everything. I want to be very logical and very um, uh, reasonable. Uh, so as anybody, uh, I asked myself many questions. Through people, through myself, I had to struggle with that. And I found that I have all the answers. I have all the proofs. Uh, not only my relationship with my experience, but even the logical answers yeah. uh, fulfilled my, my, my need. Uh, scientifically, uh, philosophically, historically, from every aspect, I think God's existence is the answer. And those, they, they say something else, they don't have any proof for what they believe in. Mm -hmm. Atheism becoming a religion. They believe in something they cannot prove. Mm. So what were the, some of the big questions or the big doubts that you were facing? What specifically, what, what were some of those questions that you were worried about? Um, simply, if this world being created by itself or not, is this designed by intelligent designer or this is by chance? 
is the stories of the Bible real or these are something uh, like uh, a myth or um, inherited generation after generation with, with no uh, proof? Um, I think I, I was like anybody else, doubting everything that we believe in. Mm. Is this true? Is this um, uh, can depend on? Because when you believe, you will rely your life on that. You will take all the risk. So mm. it's it's not a joke. It's not something that you will uh, you will take it lightly. So were you going to church when you were having these doubts, or was this something? Were you grew up in a non-believing home, or what was your background? I, I was a believer. I started to doubt as a young people, as a young man. Uh, with all the challenges around me. As a thinker, I, I think all the time. My process is, uh, is working day and night. It's very difficult for me to stop thinking. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, automatically I started to, to question myself. And I was in the age of 18, 19, yeah. uh, struggling with these things. So were and you tempted to give up the Christian faith at that point? No. Actually, no, because every time I started to think, I started to find answers, to find answers, to find answers. And you found them in Jesus? Of course. Jesus is the answer. As I said before that, creation and incarnation. We can see the hands of God, the intelligence in the creation, and nothing can explain creation uh, without God's existence and incarnation. The story of Jesus, which is a historic story, it's not a fake story or something happened 10,000 years ago. So it's a story with a proof. Who is this person that changed the history? Who is this person with a proof of his resurrection? So the resurrection is the miracle, can change any mind uh, and can finalize any debate. So we have the creation and incarnation, and together, uh, I think, enough for anyone honest to think uh, in, a, in a very neutral position. Mm. And so obviously that was very uh, convincing for you. Of course. Mm. So are there, is atheism much of an issue or a challenge in modern-day Egypt? It became for a while after the revolution, and many became... Uh, atheist, actually. One of the uh, surveys uh, proved to be we have at least 4 million, 4.5 millions became atheist. But they didn't stay atheist. Many of them uh, became uh, deist okay. or agnostic. Uh, because for the Egyptians, it's very difficult uh, uh, to feel the vacuum that no God no eternity, nothing, there is nothing. Mm, to believe something, there's something bigger out there. Yes, there's yeah. something big there. Today we're talking about prayer. And in chapter 5, verses 43 and 44 of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells his disciples to pray a quite remarkable prayer. He says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, some of this sounds like a bit of a crazy prayer to pray. What do you think Jesus was thinking here? Uh, this is the key. To understand God without understanding love will be uh, impossible. God is love. Uh, and without love, God cannot even exist and cannot even create. Uh, love is the only motivation that will make God God and will make God a creator. So God is love and love for him is everything about morality. And love is not to love those they love you. Otherwise, it's you like them. Love is to love those 
different than you, others than you, even if they hate you, even if they are your enemies. And if you love somebody, you will do uh, three things. You will bless him, you will ask for him uh, the blessing, you will offer him, and you will intercede for him. If you cannot pray for your enemy, then you don't love him. Mm. Uh, maybe my enemy, I can give him a sandwich or something to eat, but in my heart, I don't wash good things. You, you, you don't like him. Yeah, but in front of God, I have to be honest. And we could see this happening in our culture during the revolution in a big time. Um, I remember a debate happened between an imam of a mosque and, uh, and the, a priest. Um, before the revolution, actually. And the imam said, what religion is this to ask me to love my enemy? My enemy, one day I will uh, fight with him and I will kill him. So I, I cannot love my enemy. So this is completely ridiculous. And the, the priest said, my God ordered me to love you, even if you don't love me. In the, in the conversation, uh, it, it was clear that as if this priest is weak, and his answer is not convincing. What happened later, after killing Christians and, uh, and persecuting Christians, and they responded in love and forgiveness, uh, blown the mind of the community, and they felt, wow, loving your enemy, much powerful than anything else in the world. So tell, just so, to step back a bit, so they initially thought that loving enemies is a crazy idea. And weakness. And weakness, but then the Christians actually did that in Egypt? Yeah. We had several attacks against Christians uh, in, in churches, in homes, in, in different uh, parts. A, a bus traveling to the uh, monastery, and uh, they stopped the bus, and they took all the men down, and they shoot all them, all them killed, and some of the uh, uh, wives being uh, wounded. And then uh, visiting them in hospital, interviewing them in the, in the public televisions. Everybody were amazed. How come these wives, these mothers, these um, sons and daughters lost their parents? Saying out loudly, we, we forgive them, we bless them, we love them, and we pray for their salvation. And even the commentators and the people were uh, asking the questions, famous names in the, in the community, were, were stunned, were, were amazed. They couldn't even understand. Uh, one of them said, who are you? Who are you? Are you aliens? Are you made of steel? If I'm in your place, I will be angry, I will be hateful, I will ask for revenge, and you are asking forgiveness and blessings and repentance for those people. Who are you? Yes, this love can be found in people. They know the God of love. They have the love to love. And even in the midst of the, the catastrophe, you will see this in, in, a, in a magnificent way. So was that hard then for the Christians to love their enemies at that point? If I'm just nominal Christian, I cannot love. If I'm a true, born-again Christian, knowing the love of God, and the love of God touched my heart, I have the language. And in the midst of the, um, the crisis, in the midst of pain and sorrow, there's a grace, there's a special grace to live what I believed in, to live what I have been commanded, to live my enemy and to pray for them. 
Now, the famed atheist Christopher Hitchens was once asked about the concept of loving enemies, and he rejected the suggestion by saying, we have to hate our enemies and try to destroy them before they destroy us. Now, isn't that a more reasonable response, to hate those who hate us, otherwise they'll destroy us? Yeah. If you destroy your enemy, you will create more enmity and more hostility, and his relatives will come back to kill you. <laughs> and actually, what, this is what's happening all through the history. And now we are seeing so many civil wars, especially in the Middle East, in Yemen, in, in, uh, in, in Syria, in, in, in Iraq. We, we have seen civil wars hating one another. So I kill my enemy and my enemy will kill me. And we will go on killing each other un, until we, 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 we are... So it, 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 it seems very uh, rational. It seems very practical. But in practice, it is very destructive. Just perpetuates the cycle. Of course. Of, yes. You cannot uh, fight fire by fire. You fight fire by water, mm. not by fire. Love your enemy. Give him something to eat. Give him something to drink. Don't resist evil by evil. Overcome evil by love, by good. This is the word of the Bible. Mm. And it's obviously a word that was sort of embodied by those believers who prayed for and we gave have, those who... And, and we have seen this practically, practically. We have so many stories uh, through this last seven years. We have seen the power of love to turn your enemy into your friend. Uh, usually I, um, I make the analogy of uh, the beauty and the beast. Yeah. Love the beast, he will turn into prince. Right. The, the beast needs somebody to love him as a beast. When you love him as a beast, while he is a beast, the curse will be taken out and he will come back into a prince. This is exactly, love your enemy, you will turn him into a friend. Hate your enemy, he will kill you and you will kill him. It's, it's, killing is not at all the solution. So this is more than just a Hollywood script. This is kind of what the Bible is saying. Yeah, and in practice, you see it and come, if you want, come and see it. How many enemies became our friends, our best friends. Mm. Uh, another question has come in from our text line from our live audience, uh, which sort of extends this. Uh, what practical ways have you shown love to your enemies? By going to them, by helping them, by treating them, by freeing them from addiction, by giving them something to eat and to drink. We have a lot of ministries that we do in our community. We know that some of the Muslims, they hate Christians. They hate Christians. They have been taught uh, in their radical Islam to hate Christians. And we, uh, we do our best to go to those they hate us uh, with gifts, with food, with medicine. Uh, many of them became uh, drug addicts. We welcome them in our centers. We, we help more Muslims in, in our center than Christians. So you, you help the Muslim people? Of course, more than Christians. We have about uh, 1,000 bed in our uh, different facilities. We have 33 different centers uh, for drug rehabilitation. Most of those we treat are Muslims. 
and um, 85% got free from addiction. They became our friends, our ambassadors in the community, in the Muslim community. Not only them, but their families, their relatives, their friends. So help them. Stretch your hand, not by word, but by action. Give them what they need, not just what you think they need. Uh, fill their need of the community. The community will turn upside down. Mm. Another question has come in from our text line, from our live audience, um, which is connected to that, but maybe if you can extend your answer. Uh, Dr. Maurice, how do, you, how do you pray for those who persecute believers in Jesus in your country, especially when violent acts happen against believers? Actually, we, we pray for others uh, long ago, even before such kind of severe persecution. We have been uh, treated as a second-class citizen for centuries in, uh, as Christians in Egypt. Uh, but this last uh, uh, wave of persecution was, was severe. In one day, we had 85 churches burned. We have hundreds of homes destroyed, uh, shops taken, lands and farms taken, and the, the Christians kicked out of their land and their homes. Many of these churches had on their burned uh, facility a banner calling, we love you, we forgive you, we pray for you. Some of the Muslim uh, uh, young people, moderate, decided to go and protect the other churches as a human shields from the fanatic extremists. Uh, our Pope said something uh, amazed everybody. He said to them, please go home. We value your lives more than our churches. Our churches can be rebuilt, but if we lose any of you, we cannot bring you back. We value your lives more than our churches. In the time of the crisis, you will understand how to bless your enemy and how you pray for them, actually, for their repentance, for knowing God, the God of love. We pray for our enemies that God reveal yourself to them, visit them, soften their heart, let their eyes see the light. Let them see the love of God, which is unknown to many people. They learned how to hate. Nobody taught them about the God of love that will make them a source of love, not a source of death, source of life, uh, uh, not of darkness. So we pray fervently for our enemies that they will be visited by the love of God in a way or another to soften the heart and to bring them to the kingdom. Well, thank you so much for sharing, um, Dr. Maurice. Um, Lots of questions coming in, which is fantastic. I'm going to try to plow through a whole bunch of them. Hi, Dr. Summer. Do you pray for many hours during the day? What do you do to improve your relationship with God and grow in your love? So uh, is, the, is the quantity of the prayer important? Uh, the matter is not only the, the quantity. The matter is the being connected with God. Prayer is not a time. You, uh, you repeat words. Time is a fellowship. Uh, you can spend so many hours crying and, uh, and blaming God and asking for yourself and uh, self-pity and, 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 um, and you will get out of this prayer much worse than uh, before the prayer. Or you go and you enjoy seeing him joining his heart, joining his um, passion for the people, praying for his glory to be seen, for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done. And you will see 
the results. And we have seen this happening in a big, big, big way. We have seen signs, wonders, miracles, uh, people raised from the dead. Uh, uh, You've seen people raised from the dead? Yeah, yeah. Uh, kidney transplant, people in the intensive care died clinically, and, uh, and Jesus appeared to them and brought them back to life. Uh, this last few years, we have seen things that we, we, you couldn't believe when I tell you the, the story. So, yes. Uh, this is why I say that God is not a myth, is not somebody that is not there, but he is the one to hear, to forgive, and to heal. Heal the land, heal the people, heal the relationships. Um, can, I, can I share this? Yeah, sure. We, we have a seminar, we do it, uh, call it uh, Marriage Encounter. We bring uh, families that some of them may be separated for a year or two, uh, or about to be separated. Uh, they already filed divorces. We bring them in, the, in this seminar um, called the uh, marriage encounter, trying to reconcile them with themselves, with God, and with, with one another. And we depend on prayer. We bring a group of people sitting all the time in an adjacent hall, praying, 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 praying for a miracle, for a miracle to happen. And we have seen such a miracle that people came from different homes, separated for two, three years, and after the seminar, they went back in a honeymoon. They started again. It's a miracle, because uh, it's a miracle. It can't be anything else. So you see miracles are not only physical miracles, but you see miracles in relationships, which is more complicated and more difficult, because it depends on the will of two persons. Mm. And uh, to heal the, the, the sick, it's, uh, it depends on his faith. But to reconcile two, they hate each other for so long, and now they are in, uh, in love, uh, going into a honeymoon. For me, it's a bigger miracle than even raising somebody from the dead. Mm. This is the power of prayer. It's a power of prayer. It can't be anything else. Mm. Another question. Doctor, have you ever asked for something in Jesus' name that has not happened? Of course. I used his name so many times for selfish ambitions. <laughs> it's, you, you, it's like not... you like Mercedes cars, do you? <laughs> <Yeah>. is <that> right? <laughs> uh, uh, this is why I tell, uh, in Jesus' name, it's not um, uh, a password. It's not a magic word uh, uh, that, that will, uh, will force God to do what I'm asking. No. In Jesus' name means on behalf of Jesus. If Jesus in my place will pray this prayer. If Jesus in my name, in, in my place, will not pray this prayer, it will not be answered. In behalf of Jesus, I'm asking the Father to glorify his Son, to save the people that the Son has died for their sake. So we're about to wrap up here now. Um, Dr. Marie says, Sama, is there power in prayer? 100%. And you've seen that? Many, many, many times. We can write books about what we have seen uh, by our own eyes um, as a result of prayer. And it can't be anything else? It can't be a coincidence? No way. Well, let me leave you with the Bible's answer to the big question. Is there power in prayer? From Matthew 5, verses 43 and 44. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I look forward to you joining us next time for bigger questions. Please thank our guest today, Dr. Samma Maurice.